Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Danny in the Valley your weekly dispatch from deep inside the Silicon Valley future machine. Before we get to today's show, I just wanted to give you a heads up on some of the uh, guests and other cool stuff we have planned over the next few weeks. So next week, I'll be sitting down with Aubrey de Grey, who's a British scientist with the largest beard I've ever seen in person. He's working on longevity. He's backed by people like Peter Thiel and Vitalik Buterin, the founder of Ethereum, and he claims we're ever so close to figuring out how to live for quite literally thousands of years, so that should be fun. Other guests we have coming up include Brian Chesky, the founder of Airbnb. We have Andrew Mason, the founder of Groupon, to talk about his new company. We've got a special report on eSports, which I've been working on in the background, talking to loads of folks and trying to figure out how to play Hearthstone, which has been um, highly entertaining and made me feel very old. But I think you'll enjoy that one. Anyhow, that's just a flavor of what, of what is coming, and there's loads more. But now, we move on to today's show. Yo, technology, what is it all about? If there's something you feel really deeply about, in our case, it's always been art. No matter how strange the idea seems from the outside, there is a way to kind of make it personal, to make it relevant. My guests this week are Purna Gupta and Parag Chordia. Hopefully I'm saying those right. They are a husband and wife team behind Hooked, an app that has become a bit of a phenomenon. It's a text-based fiction app, so stories in the form of a text conversation between two people to which you are the voyeur. And that may not sound like your bag, but people, especially young people, love it. They have more than 40 million people on it. It has hit the top of the App Store charts in a number of countries, and they've raised millions from a who's who in the tech and entertainment world, betting that this may just be the future of the novel. Investors include Snoop Dogg, of course, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry from my beloved Golden State Warriors, as well as media investor Peter Chernin and Sweet Capital, the guys from um, Candy Crush. So despite having raised all that cash, they run a pretty lean operation. They don't have an office, so I met them at their house in Brisbane, which is just south of San Francisco at the top of a very steep hill with some pretty outstanding views over the San Francisco Bay. And we talk about remaking the novel, getting millennials to start reading, and their longer-term plans to make movies based on their most popular stories. And just before we get started, two production notes, which are extremely important. 
Prague and Purna have a no-shoes policy in their house, so in yet another Danny in the Valley first, this was my inaugural interview where I was in socks, breaking new ground every day. Thankfully, I had put on a fresh pair of socks, so my little piggies weren't getting an airing. And second, I encourage you to listen all the way to the end this week, which of course you do anyway, because this week there is a special sonic treat waiting for you. Without further ado, here's Purna and Prague. Headquarters slash home. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for coming. Yeah. You made it up the hill. I did. A very <laughs> steep hill, but the view over the bay is pretty outstanding. Makes it worth it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so before we dive into kind of what it is you guys are doing, it'd be great to just maybe start with the broader problem you're trying to solve or the market you're trying to address. Our goal is to make reading engaging for young people on mobile. And, you know, our belief is that reading is fundamental and that great stories are fundamental to the human experience. But I think a lot of people feel that reading as a medium is dying, uh, especially in younger generations. But we don't believe it. We think that people will always want to read great stories, but that the way in which we tell stories needs to adapt really to reflect the modern mind and to reflect the way in which we live our lives today. So for those who don't know, obviously, so 2017, you guys won an award by, from Apple or something like that, or got some recognition? Yeah, so in 2017, we were recognized by both Apple and Google as one of the best apps of 2017. Google named Hooked one of the most entertaining apps on mobile for 2017, and Apple actually created an entire category called Reinventing Reading. It was pretty cool. You know, it's, it's a testament to the impact that we are starting to have on the space of reading. How many people are on Hooked? We have 40 million readers, and almost all of them came last year in 2017. And what's the geographical breakdown of that, or do you know that? Yeah, so hooked readers are all across the world. I mean, so far we've focused mostly on English-speaking countries, so 70 80% English-speaking, and then 20 30% the rest of the world. There are the charts, which basically track at a given moment in time, a given day, which app is the biggest in that particular geography. And so in 25 different countries, Hooked has reached the number one spot. And is that in entertainment apps or reading apps? Overall. Like the number one most downloaded app? So it's been a wild ride. One of the things that really amazed us was we wondered, we always thought that Hooked was going to be a universal reading platform, but we wondered the extent to which our initial stories were going to translate across different cultures. And one of the things that we found was that we simply made translations of some of our top stories, and they worked equally well in all these different countries. So you're number one all over the world, but for those who don't know what it is, what is it? How does it work? Hooked is chat fiction. So the basic idea is that there are stories told in the form of text message conversations between characters. Essentially, they're dialogue-driven stories, and the, the conceit is there are two people you know, texting back and forth, and some sort of suspenseful or thrilling or romantic story unfolds through the course of that conversation. And they're usually pretty short. They're usually short. Each episode 
is around five minutes. It's, it takes about five minutes to read an episode. And we have a series. So some, some stories will go on for multiple episodes. But the basic idea is it's something you can read on the go. If you're on a bus somewhere, if you're waiting in an office for a doctor's appointment or waiting for a meeting, in those short bursts, when you might usually go and check a social media feed, go to Instagram or Facebook to get your fix, we feel that most people, it's often not a very fulfilling experience. And so maybe instead, why don't you come over to Hooked and read a story and it's a little bit more nourishing and you might feel better at the end of that five minutes. Right. And I'm, it's a paid subscription. It's freemium. So you can read anything in our app for free. Basically, you can read in five minute chunks for free. And so if you're only using it for five minutes, you know, you can access anything in the catalog and keep reading the story. Just come back after the paywall. The timer comes up. How, um, long is it, how long is the timer? Usually it's about half an hour. <laughs> oh, so, like, so you're trying to basically bank on people wanting to binge. Exactly. And what we find is that depending on the story, you know, anywhere between 5 to 10% of people are going to be bingers. They're your power they're, users, Yeah, so, so they're interested in, in paying. But for the rest of the, you know, of, of the reading world, you can still access the stories just uh, at five minutes at a time. Right. And who writes these stories? Like, what, how do you source them? Because I think it's, it's also interesting to kind of, if you step back and look at the kind of the longer term plan of how you get the stories and then what you're going to do with it over the longer term. All our stories are written by professional writers. We have a few different ways of, of finding writers who, who want to write in this strange new you know, chat fiction format. Uh, one is we have an editorial team based in New York. They have relationships with agents. Are these people from like the traditional New York literary world? So some are. So when we first started, you know, we had this idea to tell stories in this format and we didn't have any connections in the literary world. And, you know, obviously who's going to take something like this seriously from the establishment. So we actually decided to start with young writers. We reached out to MFA programs across the U.S. and you know, just, just put out a call and said, you know, paid opportunity in creative writing. We're trying to make reading engaging for young people. If you're interested in the future of reading, submit a story to us. And in the first month after that call, we had 200 stories submitted to us in this chat fiction format. That was really interesting to us. So that was before we even launched wow, 200. the app. So it was interesting to see the demand amongst writers to write stories like this. And they were able to adapt to writing in this format so quickly. That was very encouraging to us because it showed that writers are interested in, in exploring new formats. They like the idea of writing chat stories. But over time, we've kind of you know expanded. So through that, we got our initial pool of writers, and they had writer friends, and they kind of sent you know, sent them to us, sent them our way. But over time, we've also developed relationships with the traditional establishment. Agents are starting to be interested in, in giving their writers an opportunity to write for Hooked as well. And obviously, the big difference is when we started, we had zero readers, and now we right. have 40 million. So it's an opportunity for writers that are looking to reach a new audience or sometimes try a different type of genre. They might be romance writers, but they'll they'll give horror a chance. Right. Flex that muscle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you seen the reaction shift? Because I imagine some writers, some established writers would be like, you want me to write in text form so, you know, millennials can read it on their phone? Like, no, thank you. Yeah, so we still get that reaction <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> there are different types of writers out there and different types of people in general. And for some people, they're perfectly happy doing what they've always done and writing novels normally. And that's fine. I mean, that's great. That's fantastic. We love normal novels and we need those people to keep doing that. But I think that there is a subset 
of people who believe that fiction needs to adapt to stay relevant. I think a lot of people really enjoy the creative challenge. It's difficult to write great stories in, in this new format. In chat form. In chat form. And I think they enjoy that. You know, with any new medium, when you're competing against something that's established and that has a tradition of perhaps hundreds or even thousands of years, there's going to be resistance. If you think about what it was to translate a play into a movie, a movies were not what we think of them today. They were essentially translating plays. And of course, at that time, you weren't using the power of the medium, the intimacy of the medium, the fact that you didn't have to shout, the fact that you could show visuals that were different than what the characters were doing at that moment and, and therefore create new atmospheres and moods. So it took w a while to develop the language of cinema. And I think similarly with writing, with new mediums, you have to give it time. You have to experiment, you have to play, and then ultimately you have to establish that there is something unique, there's something special in the way that you write for this medium and that it can have an emotional impact. Ultimately, who cares what the form is? What matters is what is the emotional and intellectual impact? I think right now we've shown that there is a huge demand to read on the phone because it's ubiquitous, it's always with us, and people are always going to want great stories. Now it's our challenge and our opportunity to show not only that you can kind of scratch an itch, but actually you can give birth to a new medium, something that's interesting, different, and unique. It'd be great just to go to a little bit of the history, because obviously it's an what you're doing is interesting, and from what I understand, it's very profitable. You're obviously running a very lean operation here. <laughs> How'd you end up here? Prague and I are serial entrepreneurs. We're, we're married co-founders. We've been doing startups together for many years. We always gravitate towards opportunities that lie at the intersection of technology and art. We kind of think of ourselves as part technologist, part artist. A lot of times, you know, technology companies tend to pursue the utilitarian opportunities first. And for us, we get more meaning out of bringing art into people's lives. Our last startup was in the music apps space. We built music creation apps that helped non-musicians make music. So uh, for example, we were part of Smule, which is one of the uh, biggest developers of music creation apps. One of their big apps is something called Sing Karaoke, which is the world's largest karaoke app. Crowdsource karaoke kind of. Yeah, it's communal, exactly, like communal that's, uh, karaoke. That's like a bunch of people singing out of tune together. Sounds like it could be sonically difficult. <laughs> that's where the technology comes into play to make it all work together and oh, sound okay. good. So yeah. it's like a mega auto-tune or <laughs> exactly. something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so anyways, we did that for a few years. and, and so you sorry, sorry, you started that and then sold it to Smule? We were basically two peas in a pod. So we had a comp company that was competitive to Smule, and we made some fun apps using interesting machine learning technologies to make it easier for people who don't consider themselves musicians to make music on their phones that sounds pretty decent. So one of our big apps actually was something called Songify, which turns speech into song. This was relatively early days in the app store. We ended up launching that app in 2011. And when we launched it, that app became the number one app in the world for a while. So that was kind of our oh, so first... Oh, this is like old school. You guys, this is no big deal for you. <laughs> so, well, that was kind of like our first... That was kind of the thing that put us on the map, I think, as app developers and as entrepreneurs. And that was our first little taste of how you can use the mobile device to bring these interesting entertainment experiences to people's day-to-day yeah, -day lives. It's kind of funny because my background was in music and machine learning. And everybody used to ask me, why on earth would you want to get a computer 
to do anything with music. Music is like right. something that humans do. It's our last refuge. It's so personal and emotional. What does this really have to do with computers? And, you know, I'd go blah, 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 speech recognition for music. But it wasn't obvious, like, why you would want to do that. And for me, it came from a place of just scientific curiosity. How does the mind process sound? And then what was interesting is that with the rise of iPhone, suddenly there was this musical instrument in everyone's hand. And nobody knew at that time what are the ways in which it can be used to bring a musical experience, not necessarily the same one you're going to have if you pick up a guitar and play it. And so a lot of the really esoteric things we were doing in the world of music technology suddenly became relevant. Because you were a professor, correct? At that time, I was a professor at Georgia Tech. I'd done my PhD at Stanford at a place called CCRMA, which is an interdisciplinary institute bringing together computer science people, electrical engineering people, composers. It was really fertile ground for thinking about the ways in which art and technology intersect. And my particular passion was basically trying to understand musical sound. Can we break it apart into its components? What is really happening when somebody is singing? What's happening when they're composing a song? And that was actually what led, that experimentation was what led to our first product. So before Songify, we did something called La Dida, which is something where you sing, it listens to what you're singing, and then it automatically composes music to match. Okay. And this is like an app for the people. Like yes. Then we were like, well, singing is still something that you have to have a certain amount of confidence to do. What's something that everyone does? Well, everyone talks, and that's what ultimately led to Songify. How can you use speech to then give people a musical experience? But the point is that we took something that was very esoteric, very academic, and just with this rise of this platform, it kind of made it something that went from nothing to suddenly you can reach hundreds of millions of people with this piece of technology. So the scale and the imagination, the combination is just like very intoxicating. If there's something you feel really deeply about, in our case, it's always been art. No matter how strange the idea seems from the outside, there is a way to kind of make it personal, to make it relevant. That's what we learned through this whole process. Because when we were doing music creation apps, we consistently got the response, why would you want to do that? Nobody wants to like make music on their phone. They have other ways of making music. And I think what was ultimately so satisfying to us was that our goal was not to replace traditional music making. It was to expand the concept of what musical experiences are and to make it so that more people in their daily lives could have a musical experience. And I think that's something very similar to what we're trying to do with storytelling. There is room, and in fact, there's a need for storytelling to, to kind of permeate more of our daily life. It shouldn't just be something that a small number of elite educated people do right before bed. Why can't it be something now that we have this technology that we can bring all around with us everywhere, it shares the different moments of our life. Are you guys, are either of you app developers as in coders? Or do you have to kind of, you have the idea and then marshal people to actually, because that's what I think a lot of people, everybody I know, especially around here, has an app idea. <laughs> but nobody knows actually how to do it or they, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money or it just seems so unattainable. So how did, do you bridge that gap? Yeah, so we're not really actually coders. I mean, we both, know how to write code and have written code in the company. I'm the CEO, Prague's the CTO. He has a PhD in computer science and machine learning, but he's not an app developer. We have always had to find app developers, you know, to programmers to work with us. And, you know, we've had to convince them that these are ideas worth pursuing. To put it bluntly, no, 
You do not want me writing the code that reaches millions of people. <laughs> that was never my forte. But right. I think we brought together people around like a common passion for bringing art into people's lives. And what our unique strength is, is thinking about how can you take some kind of new technology or something that maybe isn't even fully worked out and think about a way it can become interesting for everybody. Translating technological ideas into compelling consumer experiences that's our bread and butter. There is something clearly compelling about how the space that mobile devices occupy in our life. There's an intimacy. There's a familiarity. How can we... And increasingly, there's a, it's unhealthy. And there's a real backlash that started last year, and it's really picking up steam, it feels like. You know, it's almost sort of just coming to be seen almost as toxic. It's literally like the ring. It's like my precious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so this is something that's really very important to us. And we felt this when we first started the company. It was before this backlash had begun. We really felt that there was a saturation in social media usage and that the behavior was unhealthy. And even if people didn't recognize it, it was making them unhappy. I think social media is like sugar. We're not really evolved to live in an environment with infinite sugar, just exactly parallel. We're not really evolved to live in an environment with infinite social information. And it kind of hacks our brain and we just keep going towards it to get those hits. But it's not an optimal place for most of us. And somebody has to offer something different. And I think it's not, I hope that more people will just learn the discipline of not checking social media constantly. But I think the majority of people, it's too difficult. and. We need to start developing experiences on mobile that are just more nourishing. They have to be as engaging. You have to be able to capture someone's attention and give them an incentive to spend their time doing something like reading fiction as opposed to checking their, their social feed. It's kind of up to us as app developers and as entrepreneurs to figure out how do we create more nourishing experiences on mobile. And we really feel that fiction has an important role to play in that. Going back to the history, you have Songify... Do you, you sell it to Smule? So we had so we had done La Di Da at that point, yeah. which is the automatic accompaniment app, and we did Songify, and Songify kind of rose up the charts and put us on the map. And then our uh, frenemy Smule <laughs> kind of dropped us a note, and we actually we really were friends. Smule's co-founder was Ga Wong, who was a professor at Stanford where a few years ago, Prague had done his PhD. So it's okay. a very small right. community. And so we all knew each other and had a lot of respect for each other. And Ga and Smule CEO Jeff just called us up and we started talking and felt like we would be stronger together. So we merged and Prague and I joined Smule as executives. I became chief product officer at Smule and Prague was chief scientist there. And uh, we started to have quite a bit of impact. I mean, Smule now has reached over 350 million people around the world with their wow. music apps. So it's amazing. That was an amazing experience for us. But after a few years there, we started to feel like we were ready for the next adventure. And so we decided to, to leave Smule. And before getting kind of jumping into the next startup, we didn't know exactly what we wanted to do. We didn't even know if we were going to do another startup. We just wanted to get back in a creative mindset. So we actually left Silicon Valley. We we went and traveled. We ended up traveling for a year and a half. We went all over the a world. A year and a half. Yeah. And what kind of, so you've sold a startup or you merged, you, you have created a successful startup. So are you doing like hostel style travel or are you doing <laughs> like the five star? <laughs> no, definitely not five star. Kind of, I would say somewhere in somewhere between. between. Yeah, yeah, somewhere yeah. in between. We ended up 
using uh, Airbnb a lot. Sometimes you can find like monthly rentals at a decent price. And we, we, we kind of gave away most of our possessions and then packed up the little bit that we had left in a storage unit. So we didn't, weren't paying rent anywhere. I mean, it was just the two of us. And a lot of times we would just find these one bedroom villas a couple of blocks from the beach or something somewhere in an amazing remote location yeah so we just ended up traveling for a year and a half and while we were traveling we started writing a novel are you writing that together we were well we say we were writing that together pretty much what that means is that i was writing and prague was surfing most of the time (laughs) which is how most of our collaboration goes (laughs) (laughs) that's why you're the ceo right Um, but no, it was actually, for me, it was great to just have, I mean, the, the ideas were created together to be able to create the world and the characters and talk about them as real people what together. Kind of novel was it? It's, well, we're still working on it. It's a sci-fi fantasy trilogy for young adults set in Silicon Valley in the future. So you're still working on that? Still working on it. Yeah. And I think eventually we'll, we'll launch it as a story and hooked now. Right. That's, that's the idea. But what was interesting was, you know, we, we would travel and talk to people and they say what are you doing and we say we're writing a novel and most people would be kind of like why you know what's the point who no one's going to read a novel nobody reads reading is dying we just kept getting that again and again and that's where we we really started to think about how how are we going to reach people with this how if reading is dying how are we going to get young adults to actually care about what we're doing really it started from that and the first touch point for almost any piece of media now today for most young people is on the phone. And so if we wanted to actually get people to read what we were writing, it felt like it made sense to figure out how to capture their attention on the phone. And we started just looking at how do people read on the phone? How engaged are they when they're reading novels on the phone? And we just got deeper and deeper into that research and realized that they were not very engaged at all when they're reading normal novels on the phone. And so we started to ask ourselves, well, can we change that? Can we somehow think about the, the novel as a product and think about it in terms of a user interface like we do with our apps? So the and problem with the novel is the user interface. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It sounds, you know... It sounds very know. Silicon Valley, but <laughs> I, I mean, I... I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> and i apologize for that but it's no, just no, yeah you know that's where it came sense. from yeah. it was just it was just thinking about the mindset that people are in when they're staring at their screen and the fact that it is a tiny screen and that novels are often a hundred thousand words long and not really designed to be read in a few short sessions and that you're also competing constantly with attention from facebook and snapchat and Instagram. So kept going down that path and ultimately started experimenting with new formats for storytelling that could compete and that were just easier to grasp while reading on a small screen. And ultimately tested a lot of different things and eventually kind of randomly tried this idea of testing a short horror story in the format of a chat conversation. And the first one that we tested just Everything changed, basically. Suddenly, the readers that we were testing on stopped, and they paid attention, and they Where'd read. you find the readers? Where'd you find this beta group? We found them on Facebook. Fan groups or something? Or? We basically ran ads. So we ran ads that advertised, read the book that could be the next Hunger Games. You know, It was a selection of people who, who were ostensibly interested in reading something like the Hunger Games, 
But uh, even then, when we tested any story in a normal for- novel format, the completion rates were so low. We might get people start, you know, they'd start reading, but they would just drop off after a few yeah. seconds. So it'd be a really interesting cat video that had just popped up or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They lost it. They lost attention. But when we told a pithy, high-intensity story in the form of a text message conversation, it kept their attention for five minutes. Is it a similar, like a text conversation where you have to like, you know, tap something and then there's the three little dots and then something else comes? Is that sense of suspense? Yes, that's exactly right. Suspense is the key to all of these stories, really. And it's about, you have this very limited window that shows you a piece of what's happening. And, and that window is the, the messages that you're receiving from this other person. And so you have to understand where are they? Why are they in danger? You know, are they telling the truth? Basically, the way most of these stories unfold is there it's a conversation between two different people. And so you are the observer. And so did you actually start developing that while you were out on a beach somewhere hanging out? Or did you actually decide, okay, enough of the good life. We have to come back and... <laughs> Work. We decided to come back. Yeah, we, right. we decided to come back, but this is what brought us back, and we felt like there was something in it. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You have some interesting investors. We do, yes. we've. <laughs> it's been... Uh, a pleasant surprise, actually, the number of people that have been interested and receptive you know, to investing in this, both from Silicon Valley and Hollywood. On the Hollywood side, we have some famous actors like Ashton Kutcher and Jamie Foxx. We have some producers like uh, Greg Silverman, who was formerly the president of Warner Brothers, Peter Chernin, who's a big-time producer, Charles King, who is an amazing producer, some some pretty cool athletes such as Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala. Um, oh, really? Others. Yes. Oh, I have to also mention Snoop, <laughs> which is Snoop. Yeah, <laughs> which is Snoop and Mariah Carey, which has been so cool to get musicians as well into uh, what we're please doing. Please explain how that happened. <laughs> it's one of these things that you know when we first started, we really thought it's going to be impossible to raise funding for this. It's First of all, you're going to have the normal skepticism, which is nobody wants to read. Then on top of that, in Silicon Valley especially, there's 
oftentimes a hesitation to invest in content oriented startups basically. Yeah. And, you know, on top of that, the question is, how are you going to monetize? No one's going to read and certainly no one's going to pay for it. But it was interesting that from the very beginning, although there was a lot of skepticism, I think this idea that storytelling is fundamental to us as humans, I think really resonated with everybody that we talked to. It seemed like an inevitability that this form of ex self-expression, which is the novel, which has been such a huge part of human culture for so long, will have to adapt. It will have to change and evolve. It just seemed obvious, I think, ultimately, when we started talking about it to, to investors around here. And so when we first started, we actually mostly raised funding from our previous investors. But once we had the product, once we went through all of that research and had the product, and people sat down and read with it, they themselves were hooked and everything changed at that point in time. And so we started to get traction amongst investors in Silicon Valley. You know, there's increasingly, I think, a, a connection between Silicon Valley and Hollywood. And so they would talk to some of the invest, some of the folks who invest out of Hollywood and they would say, hey, what's, what's, in what's investment new, what's that you're into? Yeah. And they would show them hooked. And it kind of, in a sense, sort of grew through word of mouth, I think, just am amongst the investor community as well. Right. So did Snoop take the meeting? <laughs> and was he stoned? <laughs> I'll write a story about it <laughs> on Hooked. <laughs> you can interpret. That's a polite pass. Okay, I understand. So how much have you guys raised, or is that public? Yeah, we can talk about it. We've raised $15 million in total. We raised about $5 million in our seed funding and then $10 million in our Series A, which we did last year. But uh, this past year was actually a pretty incredible year for us in terms of growth and all of that. So uh, we were actually profitable just a little bit. But, you know, we had some profit last year, which was awesome. So That's that very means... un-Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's, it's un-Silicon Valley. It's also not normal, I think, for media startups either. It's hard, you know, but... Um, it's been great to be able to not just reach people, but also show that it's that people are willing to pay and it allows us to pay our writers, uh, which right. is great. And I think it's an important part of the whole circle. You know. So how many writers do you have and how many stories are there and all that? So we've worked with a few hundred writers and uh, the, they have written. I would say there's about 10,000 episodes in, in the app right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and each episode is about a five minute reader or a thousand words. Right. Five years from now. What does Hooked look like as a company? Our belief is that great stories are great across mediums. And really the reason that we're doing this is we think that stories play an important role in people's lives and, and in culture. Stories are the way in which we live in other people's shoes or learn through other people's experiences. They allow us to empathize and to live in different worlds and, and understand, uh, you know, the experience of, of different realities. And so we think that the best stories start as novels the, in written format. But our vision long term, you know, we, we want to create great stories, even better stories than what we have currently, and have hopefully hundreds of millions of people read these stories. But ultimately, once they're out in the hands of hundreds of millions of people, we want to start thinking about adapting those stories into richer formats for mobile, basically. And time will tell what that looks like exactly. I think it's going to be some version of video, obviously, whether it's an adaptation of what TV looks like today or something along those lines for mobile. 
But we also think that there are interesting avenues of exploration in things like AR, for example. Um, it's kind of a trendy word these days in Silicon Valley, and so I hesitate to <laughs> throw that out there. But I do think that as AR technology improves, that it will allow us to make stories richer and deeper. Our goal is to be a modern Netflix, basically. We want to be a storytelling platform where hundreds of millions of people around the world come and, and find great stories in a format that speaks to them. And the stories that people are writing for you, presumably you have you attain the rights to those stories. So we have shared rights. In other so, words, so you're kind of becoming like almost like a like a film studio type. Yeah, it's kind of a it's a next gen studio, I think is is an interesting way of, of thinking about it. You know, the idea is we develop stories very quickly, you know, with relatively low cost because they're written in this very minimalist format and we're able to find audiences for them profitably and in many cases very large audiences for them and so at that point that story is pretty validated then when you turn around and you know have to invest tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars into producing that let's say into a film it's a pretty decent investment to make because you know that that story has an audience and that it's resonating so how long before like the first like hooked studios production? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I can't say. It's hard to hard to predict the way that things go in in startup land. But and you know of course like for the first few we'll partner. I mean we'll do yeah. it. We'll partner with our smart of our investors. I was going to say producers. if you have like people like Chernin behind you. I mean yeah. I'm, so yeah. it would be done as in a collaboration, but. Hopefully in a couple of years that we'll, we'll be there and we can start producing some of our stories into other forms of media. You know, like it's kind of insane that we have this device that's now in like over two billion people's hands. And I think it's like three billion. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever. Billion, yeah, whatever. It's many. Like some <laughs> astounding. Yeah, it's approaching like 40, 50 percent of the entire world has a device where they can where they have a smartphone. But we still have not we don't still have a story that was mobile first, that was like designed for mobile and that reached a massive audience. And to me, it's just that simple. Our goal at Hooked is to show that the next Harry Potter type story, the next story that reaches mass cultural impact can be on mobile and in fact will be mobile first. And I think, you know, it's obviously we're not the only ones thinking about mobile storytelling. There's even just in that space, a rich history, a lot of, innovation but we still haven't cracked it and that's that's ultimately our goal and i don't know if you have this information but what is the age breakdown of who's reading hooked readers are pretty broad so we are basically reaching people between the ages of approximately 13 to 30 it's approximately 60 percent female 40 percent male but really what we've seen is that not surprisingly we actually more than advertising for hooked we advertise for specific stories and certain stories obviously ap appeal to certain types of people. So it's almost like we let the stories find their audience. As we've been kind of expanding the types of stories we tell, our demographics have been expanding. Initially, we skewed somewhat younger, more like 13 to 24. Now, as we're starting to tell some stories that are longer and more complex, we're reaching an older demographic. One of the interesting things was initially, we skewed heavily female. It was like 80, 20, 70, 30 female. Now it's 60-40, and we're seeing that even come close to parity now. So, which was our hypothesis, that as you expand the types of stories that you tell, you expand the, the genres that you're telling them in, 
you're reaching more more people. Especially initially, you talked about the 80-20 split, female to male. I imagine that must have helped you with investors because I was a few months ago, interviewed Jeremy Liu, who's the investor in Snapchat. And he said that was the thing that kind of got him really interested. It was like it was really popular amongst teenage girls because where teenage girls, teenage boys follow, then everybody else follows. Yeah, so I actually I completely agree with Jeremy's point on that. And we feel that the same is true. So what's interesting is that was true for Snapchat. So it's true for social media apps. But it's if you look at it, it's increasingly also true for pop culture. So a lot of times the songs that teen girls are really into become the hit songs and the books and the movies that teen girls are into end up being the big blockbusters. And so we very early on felt like we felt like young adult novels were the place for us to focus. It's just also we actually love young adult novels. I personally love reading young adult novels. (laughs) It's like a Sweet Valley High collection over here. (laughs) (laughs) Like I think Hunger Games was uh, super fun to read. You know, there's something about stories that are written for that age group. I I just think that they tend to be more powerful emotionally because it's okay to be overly emotional at that age. But ultimately, when something breaks out outside of the young adult demographic, everyone starts to pay attention and we can all be 13 years old again for a while. And I think everyone appreciates that. And those, those tend to be the most universal stories and often the most powerful ones. And it, it worked. I mean, we didn't do it on purpose. We weren't you know, targeting that demographic, but it's just kind of happened naturally that it resonated with them. And ultimately, as it started resonating and as it started growing in that demographic, it expanded. Awesome. Well, you guys have been very generous with your time. And I have one request before I leave. I actually found you guys through an investor, the guys at uh, Sweet Capital. And they mentioned that you, Prague, are amazing on this Indian kind of like guitar type situation, but it's not. What is it? It's called a sarod. It's a fretless plucked instrument from North India. That. I'd love to just get a little like, if you could just play a little something, that'd be awesome. To play us out, that would be great. Awesome. And that is it for another edition of Danny in the Valley. I will make my goodbye brief so you can. enjoy the music in the background but um thank you very much for listening if you want to read more about hooked i've written a story in this weekend's paper about it so you can uh, check that out you can also find me online at thetimes.co.uk on twitter at danny fortson and please stop into apple the app store and leave a review it really does help i now leave you in the very capable hands of Prague. see you next week Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.